This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good afternoon and welcome to Enterprise BizBytes. I'm Roshan Kanesan. Today on the show, we're going to break down and clarify the capital gains tax that was announced during Budget 2024 and was tabled in the Finance Bill uh, 2023 earlier this month. The bill was uh, tabled on November 7th and was passed just yesterday in the Day 1 Rakyat. This 231-page document represents the longest finance bill in recent history, carrying pertinent details on various tax tax reforms, including things like e-invoicing, global anti-base erosion model rules, the global minimum tax, self-assessment regime for real property gains tax, and also, most importantly, for many businesses out there, the introduction of the capital gains tax. There's a lot to digest in this bill, and we might cover bits and pieces of it over time. But today, our main focus, as mentioned earlier, will be shedding light on the capital gains tax and its implications now that the details of it are out there and the bill has been passed. Helping us with this is Tenish Kana, Executive Director at Tratax, a firm of independent tax advisors registered with the Malaysian Institute of Accountants as a non-audit firm. If you have any thoughts on this, you can WhatsApp us at our U-Mobile number, that's 018-789-8899, or you can tweet us at BFM Radio. Tenish, welcome back to the studio. Good to speak to you again. Pleasure as always. So last time I think we talked a little bit about e-invoicing and a few other things from the budget. Uh, This was before the budget last time we spoke actually. Um, So uh, finance bill was just passed. Uh, Stephen Sim uh, in speaking after the tabling said that uh, the amendments were in force uh, were to enforce tax measures announced in Budget 2024, including the CGT on the disposal of unlisted shares, the global minimum tax, and electronic invoicing. All I'm sure which will keep you very busy in the month of December. But first and foremost, 231 pages. In fact, uh, you brought a copy of it in the studio for, for me to have context of how thick a document this is. Why is this bill so thick? Um, so this is as thick as a book, if you like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like if you put it in a bookshelf, it's as thick as a, as, as, as a, as a book. Reason is because uh, we have a number of tax policy reforms uh, this year's budget. Uh, the thickest contributor, I mean, the, the the aspect that contributes most number of pages is the implementation of GLOBE rules, which is the global um, uh, anti-BAPS-based erosion profit shifting rules that, that's tied to the 15% uh, global minimum tax um, that comes into effect from January 2025. Mm. But it's in the bill now to give uh, time for businesses to prepare in advance. The second largest uh, component is probably CGT, capital gains tax. And was that, uh, and that's going to be a main focus of our show today. Uh, but given that we're going to be spending so much time on the CGT uh, today, Dinesh, is there anything you'd like to point out about the other things before we dive in? So is there anything you want to talk about in terms of global minimum tax or e-invoicing or the global anti-base erosion model rules um, that, you know, just a brief introduction to these things mm-hmm. before we dive into the CGT? Okay, I think just very quickly on e-invoicing. E-invoicing uh, in, in short means that uh, you need to get the LHDN or tax office uh, validation electronically before issuing any invoices. Um, there are guides already available. The finance bill outlines the draft law. Uh, some businesses think they have to wait for the software development kit uh, mm. uh, before they can start working on e-invoicing uh, project. So I always say that uh, give this example, you know, Roshan, if I have to give, if I have to prepare a report and give it to you in a thumb drive, and if I don't have a thumb drive at office and I get someone to buy the thumb drive for me, 
Uh, it doesn't mean that in the meantime I wait idle and don't prepare the report. I can always prepare the report <laughs> and then once the time drive is in, load it onto it. So there's a lot of business impact, business process impact that e-invoicing brings in and you can get those things ready without having to wait for the software development kit. Uh, because if you wait for the software, if you wait for the thumb drive to arrive, the software development kit to arrive before you start working on the preparation of e-invoicing, for some businesses it might be too late given that the go-live date for the first cohort is uh, 1st August 2024. So just because you don't have the the tool to submit it doesn't mean you shouldn't have it prepared uh, yeah. in advance. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. I'm sure uh, this is something that we'll get into more detail uh, later on as well, Tinesh, in another episode, uh, whether on a different show or this. Uh, let's get into the CGT. Um, tell us a little bit. Just give us a brief and simplified overview of the capital gains tax on unlisted shares as introduced and tabled in the finance bill. Sure. So I think the, as the term suggests, it's a capital gains tax. Uh, some people think it can be interchangeably used as capital tax. That's very different. Yeah. So capital tax is something like zakat, for example, is a capital tax. You pay a percentage of the capital that you have. Capital gains tax, as the name suggests, is something that you pay on the gain, which is disposal price minus acquisition price um, at the time of disposal. So capital gains tax is on gains on disposal. Um, we have um, two, two limbs to this a domestic limb and a foreign source limb. So for domestic, the scope of capital gains tax is limited to only shares and Bursa listed companies are excluded. So um, 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 as you aptly said, unlisted shares. The second limb is foreign source, which means the Malaysian companies sell um, an asset overseas. So in the, in such a scenario, it is not confined to unlisted shares. It, it, the scope of CGT covers all kind of assets. So, for example, if a Malaysian company disposes shares that uh, is listed in New York Stock Exchange or Singapore Stock Exchange or Tokyo Stock Exchange, that is in scope for CGT. Um, even if you, even if a, even if a Malaysian company disposes of a, a, a property in Australia, for example, that is in scope for CGT. Of course, the time of taxation mechanism, blah blah blah. There's a lot to discuss, but in principle, CGT always says there's two components: domestic, foreign. So, domestic is limited to shares and that two unlisted shares mm-hmm. whereas foreign cgt is applicable on all kind of assets so there is a very there is a big difference here uh, so the domestic part basically is just the unlisted shares but capital gains tax on the foreign uh, assets could be much wider much it covers listed shares it covers non shares it covers somebody say does it cover a painting i would think so it covers painting as well so a lot of people are going to be having to talk to a lot of uh, accountants, auditors and tax uh, consultants in the next few months, I'm sure, to kind of get their everything kind of ducks in a row uh, in terms of all this. Um, now, the before we get into, I guess, the, the definition of capital assets and all of that, um, any thoughts, I guess, on how this could impact the wider business climate, you know, whether it's things like the Malaysian stock market or investment climate? Because Capital gains tax always gives a little bit of like, oh, what are you doing to the capital mm. markets here? Mm. Any thoughts on that, Tinesh? So I think the government is very clear on that. You don't want to have a negative impact on the Malaysian stock market. So what we do is that um, any um, any um, shares listed in the Malaysian stock market will not be a subject of CGT, mm. first thing. So that's good. So it's not going to have a negative impact there. Second is, um, what about, uh, does it have a positive impact? Mm. Me. You know, so Roshan, let's say you and me start a business okay. and uh, 30 years down the road, we decide we want to list the business and our business could be all based in Malaysia, mm-hmm. but we could choose to list the business in Malaysian Stock Exchange or Singapore or New York or wherever we want to. It doesn't have, 
you know you don't have to necessarily list in the jurisdiction where you have most of your business yeah. so in that choice right you have multiple consideration liquidity of the market and the risk appetite blah 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 one thing you'll realize is because we both started our company in malaysia when if you want to list it in say for example in a any okay let's not use that example let's just say any any foreign stock exchange uh-huh. We'll have to do a restructuring. When you do restructuring, you and me as founder, our founder shares will have to go into that investment holding company, and that's going to attract a huge capital gain tax for us at the personal. That will be considered as a, as a sale, right? Yes, technically speaking. So we both, the founders, are going to have a huge capital gains tax exposure if we choose to list outside Malaysia. Mm. But if we choose to list in Malaysia, then um, that we will get an exemption for. Uh, approved IPOs because mm-hmm. a bursa, a bursa listing is considered approved yeah. IPOs. So in that sense, um, it may potentially have a positive impact on stock exchange by keeping Malaysian companies or encouraging Malaysian companies to list in Malaysia. Mm. But I think one of the things was that it's only going to be applied to companies, correct? So not individuals. So that I mean, but the the, the fact stands that. Um, yeah. Listing your business in a, you the three there are three exemptions I think right one for listing in a local burst, uh, for internal restructuring and the third one is a VC companies are exempt at least for now. Yeah. Um, the finance bill. So now let's talk about the asset range here. So whether it has a positive impact. I mean, it could be interesting to see whether we see more companies going to list in the local uh, stock market because of this. But only time will tell, Tanish, whether there's enough of a motivation to to do that. That's that, and there's also the other the other aspect to it. As you said, the venture capitalists are in the scope of uh, exemption. It's not clear whether PE private equity mm. investors will be able to come in. They are not. Then uh, they may also uh, seek innovative ways to manage their tax exposure. One of it is something that we call as a technical listing. It's quite popular in countries like Indonesia, where you may have a pre-identified certain uh, buyers, but you go on the stock market and transact. So the company is listed, may not be actively traded, but it's still listed. So, so all this could contribute potentially to more listing in Malaysia. Potentially, of course, only time will tell. Innovative indeed, some financial engineering to help you get around <laughs> certain things, but all within the legal framework, of course. Um, Tanesh, the finance bill defines capital assets quite broadly, including both movable and immovable properties. How does this definition impact the range of, of assets subject to CGT? We touched on this a little earlier. Yeah, so um, 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 as we said, Uh, I think let me just clarify the disposal first. As yes. you correctly said, it only covers four type of disposers. It's not applicable in individuals, but mm-hmm. I, I use the founder example just now because sometimes Easier to we, we we have um, some chain of shareholding when you look at the details, mm. um, some investment holding companies there. So that exposure could be effectively affecting uh. individuals' return. But if you go back to the letter of the law, only four type of uh, disposers, only disposals made by company, LLP, limited liability partnership, Trust body, including unit trust, and uh, cooperative societies. Only these four types of disposers are in scope for CGT. So, in other words, any gains, uh, any disposals made by individuals are not subject to CGT. So, if I'm an individual and I hold a share and I dispose that, it's not subject to CGT. But uh, again, sometimes you may indirectly be affected um, if you have a holding structure that is not so friendly, and if that. Uh, company down the chain disposes the. So the, if the, I own a holding company that owns my shares in the company, now I could be in scope of that if I didn't it, list in the local stock market. Yeah, if the 
disposal is made by the holding company. Mm. If the holding company is disposing the shares of the subsidy, that would be in scope and that will ultimately affect the otherwise. One good way to think about it is unit trust, right? So unit trusts are in scope. So individuals who have invested in unit trust and if that unit trust is investing in unlisted shares in Malaysia or even foreign stock market and is remitted, so the ROI of the unit trust will be affected. So that will ultimately have some impact. So from a letter of the law perspective, individuals are not in scope, but there could there could be some scenarios where ultimate impact goes there. So definitely a lot more to pay attention to here and uh, some... Um Although there is a lot more clarity, there is there are different variations that could exactly. you know lead to some kind of impact. Uh, Tinesh, we've got to go into a few messages. When we come back, we'll follow up on the capital assets definition, sure. among other things. Folks, I've been speaking with Tinesh Kana. He is the Executive Director at Tratax, a firm of independent tax advisors registered with the Malaysian Institute of Accountants as a non-audit firm. And we've been talking about the capital gains tax and trying to shed some light and clarify it on the back of the passing of the finance bill yesterday. Today. I'm Roshan Kandasid. You've been listening to Enterprise Biz Bites. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Business filled minds, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bites. I'm Roshan Kanesan and today we are exploring and clarifying the capital gains tax on unlisted shares that was introduced in Budget 2024 and was uh, tabled in the Finance Bill earlier this month. The Finance Bill was passed yesterday or uh, the day before by the Dewan Rakyat. So we're shedding some light on it and what it means for businesses here in Malaysia. Helping me with this is Tinesh Kana, Executive Director at Tratex. Um, Dinesh, earlier, I think uh, the key point we're trying to make was some of the ways this would impact businesses. Um, and it is on unlisted shares, but there are a few caveats and carve-outs for it as well. And you specifically listed the four uh, ways that this would impact, uh, that the four criteria that would, that where you are in scope for the CGT. Uh, I think one of them was uh, unit trust, then there was trustee, a few other things uh, which uh, you can listen to the podcast if you want to listen to Tanish, get into that again. Now, we were talking a little bit about capital assets, right, and the definition for it. So the finance bill has a broad uh, definition of this, which includes both movable and immovable properties. Talk to us a little bit about how this definition could impact the range of assets uh, subjected to CGT. I think we touched a little bit on it earlier as well. So this can be any asset. It could be, um, uh, let me just take a Malaysian company because Mm -hmm. individual is technically not in scope for for CGT. So a Malaysian company has a um, building in in Australia and has another shareholding of subsidiary in the UK and um, say they also have some... Uh, listed companies shareholding in, uh, say, the New York Stock Exchange. So if they dispose any one of this, it's technically in scope for our domestic CGT. Uh, listed shares, unlisted shares, uh, property, painting, you name it, any kind of asset, any kind of property is in scope for CGT. Uh, for foreign, mm. for domestic, it's if it's a domestic asset, all of this will not be taxable except the Unlisted shares. So there's a very clear line here, right? So the yeah. whether you're talking about a domestic asset, so in the domestic asset situation, it's only unlisted shares in those particular criteria we talked about. Exactly. But the minute you start looking at foreign assets, now the definition of capital gains tax, the implication, the scope of capital gains tax becomes much wider exactly. and the definition of capital asset becomes much wider as well as you've mentioned earlier. Agreed, agreed. That's because uh, this is in a way in line with the European Union, EU's uh, Code of Conduct Group. 
So uh, it's not only Malaysia actually. Uh, Singapore, Hong Kong is also implementing CGT effective uh, January 2024. And uh, initially, um, I recall um, earlier this year, Hong Kong was trying to implement CGT only on shares, foreign mm-hmm. CGT only on shares, and the EU did not like it. And then they had to change the policy in Hong Kong to cover all assets, and hence um, that's also the direction that countries like uh, Singapore and Malaysia have taken. And um, what are the uh, what are the tax rates for the capital gains tax? How is that determined? Because there are a few. Uh, some uh, I, I know the headline was two percent, but there are a few uh, mm-hmm. scenarios for how this could work out. Okay. Okay. So, um, as I said, the easiest way to think about uh, CGT is always to in in two compartments, domestic and foreign. So, domestic is where the asset being disposed is in Malaysia, uh, typically in unlisted shares. So, for domestic CGT, the tax rate, uh, the default tax rate is ten percent of the net gain. Net gain means um, disposal price minus the acquisition price. But what happens if you have bought this property twenty years ago, thirty years ago, bought these shares twenty years, thirty years ago? And you dispose it now. So if we impose ten percent on net gain, it might have some retrospective impact, and uh, sometimes we may not even have complete documentation. So as a transitionary rule, for any asset that was bought prior to twenty twenty four, we allow the taxpayers an option to pay either ten percent of net gain or two percent of the gross disposal consideration. Um, so that's that's where the ten percent and two percent comes in in the domestic context. Then we have on the other side we have the foreign source CGT, which is a scenario, which are which are scenarios where a Malaysian company or a Malaysian trust body holds assets outside of Malaysia. It could be any type of assets. They make a disposal. So that the tax rate will be prevailing tax rate. So for example, if the disposal is a company, the prevailing tax rate would usually be twenty four percent. Now, even though the tax rate is mm. uh, much higher, um, the interesting thing is the foreign source CGT will be subject to tax only at the time of remittance of the income into Malaysia. So that makes a very big difference um, in that in that sense. Is this in, you know, especially on the foreign side? Is this in uh, part of a larger? Uh, more uh, a, a wider campaign to as part of the you know the global minimum taxes and I guess countries looking to clarify tax rules around all these things. Is this part of a more concerted larger effort? Um, yes, it's part of the larger effort, but it's not uh, necessarily part of the GMT by OECD or G20. Instead, this is more of an EU-driven effort. See, like like countries have double tax agreements to to facilitate cross-border transactions and investments. So, in this double tax agreements, uh, Malaysia has over seventy du- such double tax agreements. In this world, there is about overall three thousand uh, over bilateral double tax agreements. Most of these double tax agreements have something that's called Article Thirteen, um, which uh, which is which often says that you know I. If I am a resident of country A and I dispose shares, dispose any assets in country Y, uh, Article Thirteen will allocate taxing right only to country X. So when countries like Malaysia, Singapore, Hong Kong presently do not exercise the taxing rights, the profits go untaxed both ways. So that's where um, uh, there is international scrutiny by EU and so on to um, to encourage and induce um, all countries to have. Taxation of CG, imposition of CGT on foreign source uh, um, income, including foreign source CGT, 
um, so that uh, aggressive tax planning and structures like this are not attractive anymore in the future. Now, for those, uh, you know, there may be um, businesses out there, uh, business owners who are looking at this and thinking, is this going to make my life uh, more difficult from a from a documentation, from a processor's perspective, especially if, you know, I'm looking to sell my business later on. Um, could you give us a sense for the requirements for filing returns and making payments under the CGT regime? And what, what does the process, I guess, look like mm-hmm. uh, going forward and whether it, how it differs from for domestic and foreign, uh, foreign asset disposals? Okay, so for domestic disposal, you have to file a return within 60 days from the disposal. And the disposal date is usually the date of agreement to sell the shares. Um, and you have to pay the, pay the taxes within um, the 60 days time period as well. So that's for domestic CGT. For foreign CGT, as I said earlier, it's taxed only at the time of remittance. So if you remit it, say now, and then you submit the Form C, the tax return uh, for that year, you include this foreign income as an income in that annual tax return. So for foreign source, for foreign source CGT, you don't have to file a separate return. It's part of the annual corporate um the income tax return, and that's uh, also brought to tax in the year any proceeds are remitted into Malaysia. Whereas um, um, domestic CGT is uh, applicable at a much lower rate of 10% or 2% as the case may be, but applies at the time of disposal um, and um, regardless whether the disposal consideration is received. So you also have to keep that in mind when you uh, structure the payment terms for your disposal. Sometimes you dispose and then there's staggered payment. So you must also make sure your your cash flows are not uh, affected badly because of the tax exposure that applies. Now, the in terms of the you know uh, the tax on foreign assets being uh, calculated or being uh, in scope when the money is remitted here, do you have any thoughts as to why it's been structured that way, or is that? really just within the uh, beyond our scope at this point? No, that's uh, the tariff, uh, the derived or remittance basis of taxation that most mm. countries um, have in place including Malaysia. This is like our because so the, the CGT standing is, un- understanding essentially. Yeah, because CGT is now fitted into the Income Tax Act. Mm-hmm. So most of uh, the common countries, the Income Tax Act is on derived or remittance basis. That means right. it is um, it is by design in, and it has been by practice in most many countries over so many years that local source, you tax it when it's earned. Uh, foreign source, you tax it only when it's remitted mm-hmm. into the country. That has been there for so it's, it's been fit into the current Income Tax Infra- uh, Act. So that's... Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, now, calculation. I know we're getting a bit technical with all this, but, you know, some people may be keen to understand um, how the, you know, yes, knowing when to file my returns is one thing, but how do I go about calculating? What's what's the computational aspect here? Could you shed some light on that? Um, okay, so the, the starting point is, of course, uh, the disposal value mm-hmm. and the acquisition value. And, of course... Uh, uh, for certain transactions, like transactions between related persons, um, the disposal or acquisition price may be replaced by market value. So there's uh, there are provisions to allow that. And then there are um, certain mathematical adjustments to be made for any cost incurred to preserve the title, establish the title, defend the title, and some incidental costs like the professional costs incurred in buying or selling the shares. And also one important part is uh, deposit forfeited. So that's like... If I'm trying to sell, if I have 
shares of this um, group, this company that I wanted to sell to you. You pay a deposit to me. And later on, we do a due diligence and we say, we, we say, oh, this is not a good fit. And as a result, some deposit is forfeited. So this deposit forfeited, I have to keep account of it. And if I subsequently manage to successfully sell this shares to someone else, at the time I compute CGT on that disposal, I will have to um, bring, I'll have to uh, take into account the deposit forfeited earlier. And uh, that would also be effectively brought to tax. So these are the more nitty-gritty aspects of the computation. So it's not as simple as seeing how much I sold it for and how much I bought it for and then minusing and then computing on that amount. Um, there are other cost components yeah. to be taken out or included into it. Yes, there are a few. Yeah. Um, you were talking a little bit about the arm's length of related party uh, transactions there and how that could be market value. Could you elaborate a little bit further on that? Yeah, because we don't want um, uh, situations where there are costs step up by by simply selling between the related parties and then so on. So when there's uh, related party transactions, um, uh, as well as things like gift and also um, scenarios where in um, in a situation where creditors are um, rec- making a recovery on a company and that involves taking over some shares uh, through a trustee. So in this prescribed situations, would use the, uh, the market value instead of the um, the whatever the disposal consideration might be. So it's a way of, I guess, reducing the ability to manipulate around that by making suddenly a big gain by selling from one company you kind of control to another company you kind of control Mm -hmm. and then making, clocking that gain to your books as income. So that way the market value helps to kind of make sure that there's no outright manipulation of those kind of things. Um, Talk to us a little bit about the timeline because there is a differentiation here in terms of when... Uh, this could, uh, depending on where you read and who you ask, uh, talk to us about the timeline for implementation. Okay. So the budget announcement was very clear. <clears throat> when it comes to the CGT on domestic transactions, the effective date is 1st March. Um, um, for domestic transactions, the wordings are quite clear in the budget speech that they are silent about the foreign uh, foreign component of the CGT. So when the finance bill was released in the table in the parliament, we noticed that the uh, date of the effective date in the finance bill is 1st January 2024 and not 1st March. So when this was... Um, uh, I mean, it was not necessarily a surprise to everyone because if you look at other countries, Hong Kong and Singapore, uh, they were... Um, in a way, uh, required by EU to implement from 1st January. So 1st January was not a complete surprise, but it was also um, a, a thing to be clarified. So I think uh, professional bodies, uh, particularly the Chartered Tax Institute of Malaysia, CTIM, also contacted the, the ministries to seek clarification on this. Consequently, they have clarified that for domestic CGT, there would be an exemption for the first two months period. More details on this would be um, would be uh, uh, gazetted or, or, or made public uh, in due course. But so far, the understanding is um, the law will start from 1st January. The government is looking into giving exemption for the first two months for the domestic CGT. For the um, foreign source CGT, it will um, go live on 1st January in line with the international norm. And... Um so we will get into more of this uh, in a little bit, uh, Dinesh. We've got a few more questions, particularly on things like 
uh, how this compares with other countries as well and how SME should be looking at the CGT. Uh, folks, I've been speaking with Tinish Khanna. He's, an ex- he's the Executive Director of Tratex, a firm of independent tax advisors registered with the Malaysian Institute of Accountants as a non-audit firm. And we've been talking about the capital gains tax on the back of the finance bill being passed by the Dewan Rakyat yesterday. I'm Roshan Kainasin. Keep you here to Enterprise Biz Bites on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Business, finance and more. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Enterprise BizBytes. I'm Roshan Kainasin and this afternoon I've been speaking with Tinesh Khanna of Tratex, a firm of independent tax advisors registered with the Malaysian Institute of Accountants as a non-audit firm. And we've been talking about the capital gains tax and it's trying to flesh it out and get into the, its implications on the back of the finance bill being passed in the Dewan Rakya this week week. Um, Dinesh, there are a few other uh, elements to really get into and one of the big areas here is how the CGT could get into co- or the impact on corporate restructuring. Now I know there are some exemptions here so I'm hoping to clarify it with you a little further. Um, how does the introduction of the CGT affect corporate restructuring, mergers and acquisitions uh, from a tax planning and uh, asset valuation perspective? Sure. So um, corporate restructuring is uh if it's within the same group, maybe you're just restructuring to keep things leaner, more minimalist, more straightforward, there's a fair good chance it can qualify for the uh, uh, exemption for internal restructuring. But the the only the announcement is that the, the necessary ministerial order outlining the conditions to qualify for that exemption is not published yet, understandably, because that can be only that can be done only after the finance bill is gazetted as an act. So that, that has to be seen. MA is slightly different because if you're doing an um, acquisition emoji it may not qualify may not qualify as an internal restructuring so there could be a uh, potential um, CGT exposures um, unless you get some specific exemptions uh, on case by case basis and if, when we take a look at the way Malaysia has uh, done its capital gains tax or its CGT uh, there's a difference, as we mentioned earlier, in terms of the domestic side of the equation and the foreign side of the equation. So foreign assets, all capital, almost all capital assets are in scope, whereas on the domestic side, it's unlisted shares uh, pending some exemptions there as well. Um, in terms of how Malaysia's CGT regime uh, has been, I guess, planned out, how does it compare with other countries, uh, whether in terms of uh, rates and scope? I think you mentioned a few uh, countries earlier as well. Yeah. So, um, popular comparison seems to be Malaysia, Hong Kong, Singapore. Um, um, although I'm not always a fan of that. But in this particular case, because all uh, all the three countries are going live on 1st January, so I think that's an easy comparison. So, what uh, Hong Kong and Singapore does is they only maintain the foreign source CGT component. They don't tax domestic CGT. Ah. So, Malaysia taxes both foreign and domestic. So, that's the most uh, visible difference. Then, um, of course, one thing I forgot to mention earlier is when you talk about exemptions for domestic in Malaysia, we have the exemptions for um, venture capital companies, internal restructuring and IPOs. And then for foreign, we have economic substance requirement um, as an exemption. Um, so, so the same concept also exists in Hong Kong and Singapore, but with some slight difference with pure equity holding companies and so on and so forth. Uh, and you mentioned that you don't necessarily like that comparison with Singapore and Hong Kong. So what comparison do you prefer then? See, it uh, depends on the context, you know, because mm. uh, 
countries, uh, I mean, we, 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 we are a much more sophisticated economy, I would say, mm-hmm. um, than, than, um, than uh, Singapore and Hong Kong, where they, they are confined to one component and uh, one focus of uh, driving the economy. Yeah. Right. Uh, so in terms of uh, other countries with CGTs, um, um, the Western countries, I'm sure, are uh, a bit more particular about this. How do we compare with some of them, uh, say the countries in Europe or even the US in terms of how they conduct their capital gains tax? Do you have any insight on this? Okay, um, in terms of uh, um, how we have it compared to Europe, I think we have a good mix. We're not too all the way. Singapore is a completely different tax regime. We never compare our tax regime against, uh, mm. because we're a Commonwealth country, we always compare against um, um, EU, European uh, European countries. So we, we, we have a lot of similarities in that sense. Yeah. Now, uh, as we come to the close in this conversation, Tinesh, uh, given the potential complexities of the CGT, as we, I think we've gone through, there are a lot of technicalities, a lot of things to really be watching out for here. Um, what advice would you offer to business owners, to SMEs out there, given this new tax landscape uh, and it coming into force next year uh, with regards to their tax planning? Okay, I think the first thing I would say is uh, don't panic. Okay? <laughs> don't panic. So I, I, if I may give um, uh, my life example, right, uh, Roshan? So recently you're doing a job, the client says, hey, we need to restructure this. We have to do this by 1st March. We need to do this by 1st March. I said, what's happening on 1st March? Anyone getting married or what? No, no, CGT is coming in. Okay, fine enough. Then we looked at it. So they had all these companies which were holding real properties, what we call them, what we call as real property companies. So assuming CGT never came into effect, then they would have a 10% RPGT when they sell the shares of this company uh, because the companies are real property companies, mm-hmm. property-rich companies, we call it. So when CGT comes in, the CGT tax rate is also 10%. <laughs> and for those assets acquired pre-1st January 2024, there is a transitionary rate of 2%. Then we said, hey, you were planning to do this in June last year, right? You know, actually, if you do that, you have a tax savings CGT can be a blessing in disguise because of the transitionary rule. So don't panic. Don't say, oh, it's a new tax. It's definitely going to be, I have to rush it. No, not necessary. Don't panic. Get professional advice from licensed tax agents. Um, don't act based on intuition. Uh, get, act based on uh, proper, properly studied recommendations. Uh, there are a lot of things coming in in 2024, uh, not just the CGT. Uh, there are other things as well. What else should businesses be watching out for next year? Oh, quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Give us your, your top things <laughs> this is okay. should be watching out so for. So first thing, service tax rate is changing, of course. Yeah. Changing from 6% to 8%. And there's also imposition of uh, service tax on four new type of services. I think one thing that, uh, that potentially has the biggest impact is logistic service. Uh, because logistic service is a very big... Uh, Logistics is a very big term. It's, an, it's not like an umbrella term that covers so many things. So keep a watch of that, how that affects the product costing and so on. That also comes in in March 2024, not uh, just a few weeks away, if you like. <laughs> um, wow. So that has a big impact. Then um, um, CGT, of course, we spoke about it. E-invoicing coming in phases from August 2024 to June 2020, um, July 2025. So that's there. Then for the larger entities, uh, we have Pillar 2 coming in, uh, the global minimum tax coming into effect from 2025. So that also affects the way tax incentives are, are given and managed and, uh, and so on. And uh, we also have stamp duty rates for foreign citizens um, that's at uh, fixed 4%. 
uh, RPGT self-assessment is coming in from 2025. So, <laughs> so I can go on for the next hour, Roshan. So tell me when you want me to stop. <laughs> so basically what you're telling me is we need to do more shows on this, uh, which is something we will definitely be doing, uh, especially in the 2024, to help people with their... I guess the way we look at taxes as well and all these different implications to businesses. Uh, Tinish, as always, a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure as always. Thank you. Folks, I was speaking with Tinish Khanna, Executive Director at TraTax, and we were talking about the capital gains tax and trying to shed some light and uh, on its implications and some of the details of this new uh, tax regime coming in, especially the differentiation between how domestic assets and foreign assets are taxed under this. All this under the finance bill, which was tabled earlier this month and passed by the Dewan Rakyat yesterday. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my or download the BFM app. You can also find our shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and other major podcast players. Just look up BFM Enterprise Biz Bites. Looking ahead, we've got the Breakfast Grill replay happening after the 1pm news bulletin. Malaysia will begin the implementation for the ASEAN Framework Agreement on the Facilitation of Goods in Transit beginning the 1st of January. Another thing to keep in mind in the new year. Datuk Ruman Emir Nyanilingam bin Abdullah, Executive Chairman and Group Managing Director of Westports Holdings, discussed with the morning run this morning the company's operations dealings with containers and conventional cargo, among other things. Definitely a conversation to be tuning into. I'm Roshan Kanison. This has been Enterprise Biz Bites. The Breakfast Girl replay happening after the 1pm news bulletin on BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.